What's up, guys? Pastor Josh here, Agape Center Ministries Coldwater. So you are about to listen to the message that was preached on August 8th at our ministry. Um, it was out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, um, and it covered the, the topic of head covering. So this was obviously something that Paul felt like needed to be addressed in the, in the church in Corinth. But when you read through these passages, as you'll hear in the message, there can be arguments made for both sides if this is a cultural thing or if this is actually something that should be done in all churches. And hopefully my teaching and perspective that, that you uh, hear me give is, is a blessing to you. Hopefully it um, stirs up some thought um, in you. But what I wanted to do in just this intro is just lay out to you guys that I just feel like regardless if, if it's a cultural thing, regardless if it is a biblical mandate or this principle that we should be following, that head covering, if it be by hair or garment, is just a beautiful representation of the creative order that God has given us, with God being the head of Christ, Christ being the head of man, and man being the head of woman, and how everything when it comes to man and woman are created equal in God, but that there is a headship with man over woman and what that even looks like um, in regards to the, the responsibility that he has with that authority. So hopefully this message is a blessing to you. Um, it, it is one that I actually truly enjoy teaching and preaching out of because it had caused me to um, really look at some things even in a different light with myself. And once again, even the questions that came about from our body regarding this topic were amazing and I don't know, hopefully you find it as a blessing as well. Enjoy. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we have worked our way now through 10 full chapters of 1 Corinthians just to kind of do some, uh, some, I guess, recapping but confirming as well. Are you guys kind of picking up what's being put down here at the church in Corinth? Understanding the culture and the, the struggles here, the, 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 the ministry, the emphasis from Paul. Um, Basically, once again, in this mindset and this way that, that he's done so beautifully in, in ministering and coming to this church is he refers to them still as brothers and sisters in the faith, right? Even at some point, we'll still refer to them as saints. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this church that calls for him to come and correct some issues as well. And we've covered a lot, right, in 10 chapters. I mean, we've gone through... Um, things where it comes to sexual morality, we've covered things regarding marriage, divorce, we've covered things as uh, you know, idolship, uh, self-denial, self-discipline, thinking in regards of, of conscience of the, the brother or sister who's weaker in the faith. We've covered a lot of things leading up to chapter 11. I just want to make sure that you guys are grasping what's being told and what's being taught here by Paul um, in these letters that he's written to the church in Corinth. Do you guys have any questions regarding anything that we've covered so far? Or have I done okay in at least relaying context to you and relaying the content of what's being um, spoken about here in this, in this book? Because I always want you guys to feel like that you can ask those questions, even, even amongst the gathering, even amongst us in, in um, 
I guess, in communal fellowship. I always want you guys to feel like you can do that. Um, because there are some things that are tough to take in. There are some things that will be difficult maybe for us to comprehend because we live in a time especially where, as I said last week, that culture kind of sets the narrative for us in many senses and cases, right? It does. I mean, we can sit here and say and sit so you know proudly in, in, our, in our own ways and go, well, culture doesn't determine what I think. You know, I'm a Christian. I feel like I hold pretty fast to what God's Word says. We have to be careful in that mindset as well. We have to make sure that we go to the Lord daily and, and allowing Him to reveal to us maybe where we're not falling in alignment with things. Where maybe where we're not making enough war in our life with struggling with certain things. Maybe where we're not as disciplined as we should be in our life when it comes to our faith. Because if we sit and we think that we're always sitting pretty, we usually tend to be maybe the most vulnerable um, to fall and to slip. And Paul even covered that in the previous chapters as well. If you think that you're good, be mindful because you're prone to slipping. Like This is something that he wants us to be, to be careful about because pride can blind us, pride can make us deaf. But in chapter 11, he's going into something that, and I, I love this, this chapter and this opening part of this chapter because all today what we're going to cover is verses 1 through 16. This covers so much regarding just making sure that we understand how we're reading and studying our Bibles. Okay? Like, I don't want you guys to ever just open up this book and read it like a Sunday newspaper. Because if you do that, you'll find yourself either being confused or you'll find yourself taking things in or maybe you putting your own meaning into the text that you're reading, which then can cause confusion to other people as well. And this is one of those texts or one of the, the, the parts of the Bible here that Paul hits on that has been up with a lot of debate with people, theologians and pastors regarding what it means. Is this something that's cultural? Or is this something that what we would say is principial? Is it a biblical principle that we're called to practice today? And I'm going to humbly stand up here as your pastor after studying this extensively, even for years before, because this was a topic where I struggled with as a, as a Christian. I'm like, you know, are, people, are women supposed to be coming into church with their heads covered? But God had to show me my heart in the midst of reading this. And I want to stand up here and, and tell you, based on what we've been reading through in, in previous chapters, that this to me is a topic where I think it relies heavily upon your conscience on what to do. If all you women came into church all of a sudden wearing some kind of covering on your head, I'm not going to sit there and look at you and think you're being too religious. If anything, when I study this scripture in these passages, I actually see it to be a sign of something beautiful. But do I sit there and think that if you're coming in here with your heads uncovered, that you're not being biblical and you're a harlot and you're not as disciplined in, in your... No. I'll still sit there and say you're coming to church and you're beautiful. You're a woman. But I think that this is the thing where Paul wants to hit on and teach because there obviously was an issue amongst the church when it came to head covering in the church at Corinth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the text and then we're going to kind of go back and unpack it together. And then we'll just we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit here. But in, in chapter 11, starting off at verse 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
I praise you for remembering me in everything and holding and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So right out the gate, I told you guys in the beginning of this book that Paul did a lot of uh, butter before the boom kind of thing. And right now he's laying some butter down. He's wanting to let the church know, I'm praising you for these things that you are doing well. And this is just a good practice for any of you guys that are going to sit down. Maybe you're going to talk to a friend, a child or whatever. Give them some praise. We call it a critique sandwich, right? You kind of give the fluffy stuff here. It's the bread and then the meat of it's kind of the critique, but you always want to finish it with some more praise. Paul's doing this. He's laying the, the foundation here by showing them praise. You know, we, I praise you for the things that you've done well. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For it is a woman, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This goes back to Genesis, right? The woman was created as what? Not a slave for a man, but as a helper, right? It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. We will unpack that scripture here as well. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So, how many of you seem somewhat confused by this? Okay, that's fine. We're going to unpack this together, okay? So, there's two ways, arguments, that stand with this passage or, or what I just read to you. The first, like I said, is you can look this up and you will probably find, if you search 10 different times, you'll probably find 8 out of 10 searches come up with the fact that this is speaking more of a cultural thing, right? When you're looking at the Church of Corinth, you'll even see that people would align a sense that women who did not have their head covered were, were prostitutes. Okay, So this would explain then why Paul would be saying that women need to come into this church in Corinth with their head covered, because if they didn't, what could they be seen as? A prostitute. Now, for the longest time, I would sit there and think, okay, that holds some weight. It does. This is something where also it was believed that, and, and Jews have, have practiced this before, Germans have even practiced this too, that shaving a woman's head was also a way of showing that she, in a sense, was maybe unfaithful in her marriage, or maybe she was a prostitute. 
So it was a way for the community to see her, the city, not just the church, but just the public, to see and witness that this was a woman um, that was not very godly. She was sexually promiscuous or whatever. They would literally shave her head. They would cut off her hair. So once again, it feeds once again into this this, uh, cultural argument that this is a passage that's basically speaking about women in the church in Corinth. Come into church. Make sure you have your head covered because if you don't, people will look at you and assume that you're a prostitute. So we look at that today with today's eyes and we kind of step away from it. We wipe our heads and we're like, I don't need to come into church with my head covered, right? But there's something more in this passage that's being spoken about that Paul is emphasizing that could put an argument against the fact that it's just a cultural thing. And maybe it's something that we could look at and acknowledge. I'm not going to go as far as saying should, but could. Do you notice what he's using here in regards to explaining the head covering? You notice how he's using creation as the foundation of his discussion. He's talking about the creative order of things in this, in this speech, in this writing to the church. He's not just leaving it alone and just saying that a prostitute could come into the church and if her head is uncovered, she's a prostitute. You notice Paul doesn't even say that in here. He does acknowledge, though, that if a woman uncovers her head... She is disgracing her head. Now, we can read that and think to ourselves, is he meaning literally her head, or is he meaning what he's speaking about? The man, her husband, because what does the Bible say? The man is the head of the woman, right? And who is the head of the man? Jesus. And who is the head of Jesus? God. So he's going down here, and he's laying out the, quote, administrative kind of um, level or, or tears here, but something that's very important, and we talked about this too when we did the marriage reset series or hard reset series, that I wanted to make sure that I, I, I disclosed to you guys then and I want to disclose to you guys now because we live in a culture today that this can be very hard teaching for people, especially with women. I stand up here as a pastor and I sit there and go, as the man, you are the head of the woman. That can be something that women can easily cringe at. When I was sitting here and I was preaching to married couples, I would see the looks come across on women's face when I would say that. I expected it. But I wanted to make sure that I used God's word to explain what's being spoken about here. Because as a man, when you are the head of your wife, in the Bible, does that mean that you are a man that is supposed to stand up, pound in the table, saying you're better to be seen and not heard. No, because Jesus says that the man is to love his wife as Jesus loved the church. And the challenge that I laid out with the men was, was how did Jesus love his church? Did Jesus love his church with this authoritative, fist-pounding, whipping, yelling, overbearing sort of leadership? He did not. He led it with agape love sacrificial love he bared burdens he listened to his bride these are things that i was challenging men to understand and think that the identity as a leader of your home 
is not one that's called to sit there and just lay the law down every day. That the, the role of a man in the household is that to be where when all else fails, who does the responsibility fall on to either make a call, right? When the family's starting to fall apart, who's willing to bear the burden of everything going on, which then calls for the man to go to who for that discernment? His head, Jesus Christ. That when the woman is watching her husband, when the wife is watching her husband, the woman watching the man, her subjectiveness to him, which is willful, once again, we'll go into that as well because it says in, in Corinthians 2 that the woman willfully subjects to the man. It's this, I don't feel compelled to subject to you. I'm doing it because I'm choosing to. Jesus on the cross, what does he say? No one takes my life from me. I give it up. This is the imagery that we're called to have as Christians when it comes to our subjectiveness to one another in the order of how things are. So when the woman sees the man, when the woman sees the husband, the wife sees the husband, she willfully subjects to him because she sees a man who's subjecting to his head and he's living a life that displays it as such. So no longer do you see this sense of contentiousness running around in the house, this power struggle. Well, I'm the woman. I do this. You're the man. You do you and I do me, which culture likes to say as well today. No. My wife is much smarter than I am. Silence. No disagreement there. That's good. She is. Like, she is a smart woman. She is a very headstrong woman. Many would argue and say that she is a very independent woman. But something I remember asking the, the church here when I was doing the, the hard reset marriage series, and I say it to you guys now, and I remember asking the question, and I'll never forget two women in particular starting to cry right when I asked the question. And it was a challenge. And I asked them to stop and think about it. You show me a woman that thinks she can do everything on her own by herself. I don't need no man. You show me a woman with that mindset, and I'll show you a woman that somewhere along the line has been let down by some kind of man in her life. When you're a little girl, do you remember how you would crave for like dad? Or a man would just have a sense of like influence in your life. Or maybe something happened in your life where a brother let you down, a dad, an uncle. Maybe something horrible took place in your life where you made a decision in that moment, I don't need a man. Something that my wife had to repent from, and she was open about it, was she was wanting to raise her girls to live a life as such. You need to be independent and secure in yourself to where you don't need a man to live and survive. Because her mindset was, was that if they weren't being raised like that, then they were being raised to completely depend on a man. And that I don't push either with people. But what Paul is sitting here and saying is, is that, yes, we see this order of things. But do you notice what he says here, where he says, it is for the reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. 
For as woman comes from man, came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from who? That statement there speaks what? Equalness. When you look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one of the things that I have said to people is, is that you have the Father, you have the Son, and the Son is a subordinate to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is a subordinate to the Son. But not one of them is more important than the other one. The imagery that I've given people, which I heard from a pastor, is if you want to look at the Trinity, think of the Son itself in the sky as the Father, the light coming from the sun is the sun, and then the heat from the light is the Holy Spirit. And I, and I want people to sit there and think about that when it comes to your relationships with people in marriage. We have roles as husband and wife that are complementary to each other. The man is the head of the woman, but the man is no more important than the woman. I am your pastor right? I govern, in a sense, over you guys. I teach you guys. But what have I said to you guys in the past? Am I any more important than you guys are to the Lord? Am I any more valid than you guys are? But what am I? I'm more accountable for what I teach and what I say. The Bible even says when we're reading about the roles of man and woman in marriage that the man is to be mindful and making sure that he doesn't offer his wife up to the Lord after it's all said and done, broken and beat down. That the man is actually supposed to treat his wife as the weaker vessel. And we read that and we struggle because I don't want to be called weak. I don't want to be called... I told my wife, I said, when I think of that phrase, I think of delicacy. I think of, you know, this sense of like, almost like fragile to an extent, like you're a gift to me from the Lord. And, and the way that I can honor that gift is making sure that throughout this time that we have together on this earth in our bodies, that the, the greatest way that I can pay honor to God to show God glory is making sure that I treat my wife as such that she is that kind of a gift to me, that we grow together. So with all those things being said and done and making sure that those things are understood, Paul is using this imagery to discuss and talk about the head covering in church. When he goes here and he says, for it is a reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. He's not sitting there saying that you as a woman are called to place your own authority there and you're in charge. He's not saying that. What he's actually saying is, is, is that he's recommending that there be something placed on your head to express the authority that is in your life, that being your husband. He's wanting to let that be known. And he says, because of the angels. And this is something that the word angels here is being unpacked. It's being used in, in the Greek is the same way that we read about in Revelation about the seven angels and stuff like that. It can be messengers. It can be pastors. It can be literal angels. What he's trying to represent and say, though, is, is that the imagery and the witnessing of the woman wearing this on her head has a value to it. That, yes, it does show and display when you come into church. That you're married, that you're acknowledging the order of things in creation. Yes, I am a woman who is married, so I am wearing this cover on my head to display 
the headship of my husband to the body. Now we can go into debate and say, well, why is he displaying that? Because Pastor Josh, there's nowhere else in the Bible where we really read about this. There's another place for the argument that it could be cultural, right? We don't. This, this isn't something where we would say, okay, it's a, it's a biblical principle to do this. When Jesus washes the feet of his followers, do we read anywhere else in the Bible where this is to be done? But do we shun it if people choose to do it? Right? These are the things that I want you guys to understand when you're reading your Bibles and you're studying it. Yes, there are normatives and there are narratives, but making sure that we don't take something like this and just either throw it off to the side and thinking, well, that's, that's just cultural. That's just, that's something for back then. I don't, because here's the deal. If you guys in your conscious state, right? Like, Sherry, if you decide out the gate, in reading this passage, you leave church today and the Holy Spirit just leads you to going, you know what? I want to come to church with some kind of covering on my head to display that I'm married to John. That he is, in, in, my, in my Christian walk, my acknowledgement of the order of things in creation, that he is my husband, is the head of me. If you were to do that, I would say it was beautiful. But even if you decide not to do it, I'm not going to sit here and go, you're going against some biblical principle. And this is where sometimes we come into these clashes because there are people that will read this and sit there and say, you should do it. My only side to that would be is, is once again, making sure that we're not just rushing something off to saying it's cultural without truly understanding what it is. Is it a principle or is it something that's just culturally relevant? Because here's where we're at as a church right now. You guys would agree with me on this, I believe. I said it to you guys a couple weeks ago, this, fa this famous evangel uh, evangelical. She said, I wish Christians would stop being so biblical and be more Christ-like. And I heard that and I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? Because we can take scripture that is a biblical principle and just out of the emotion of life go, well, that's just what they believed back then. You know, back in those days, the woman and the man were that, that's not, they don't mean that for today. You speak about sexual immorality and that, that stuff was just, that was for the Lord's day. You know, we progress as people. Right? It's a movement we see in the church, this progressive Christianity. Like We're called to evolve more because really, culture's different. People are different. We've all grown. We've all evolved. We have to make sure that we read the Bible with a more clear sense of what they're really saying. And I sit there and I look and I go, that's just a bunch of fooey. That's the devil's lie. The Bible speaks about the very things and warns about the very things that we're still going through today that you're going to experience and come across hollow philosophies and deceptive teachings. People are going to fall away from the faith because they're following other kinds of beliefs, but they're thinking they're following Jesus Christ and they're following the Bible. But when you live in a culture and a society today that thinks this is irrelevant, and they basically look at that and they say, in all your ways acknowledge myself and I will make my path straight, 
This is why we see a lot of the things that we see today. So the challenge here is, is that let's all just stop and park in God's word and see where we end up at with it. Let's study the word together. And what I'm reading here, what I'm picking up is, is that I say to you as your pastor, that when you read this, when you understand because you are a Christian and you believe in the order of creation, you believe that God rose from the dirt and you believe from God he created who? Woman, right? And what was, this, what was the woman's purpose? To be man's slave? What was she called to just literally be on a, a chain and he was to drag around and say, do this, this, and this, and I'm the man and you listen to me? Or was she made to be a helper? Was our role as men to be that in which we decide because we get and hear from culture, even from days back then, that you're the man of the house, you set the rules, you lay the law down? The law's already been written. I don't need to lay anything down. You need to make sure that you operate like this. You're the king of your castle. You make sure that you set that precedent quick. I grew up in a household like that. It didn't do anything for me seeing that. Or do you do what the Bible says? You're the display. You're the, the, the image of Christ to your family. Your wife, who is a fireball, Jelaine, in the midst of her being a fireball, you know that your only way to keep your composure control is to go to him because he's your head, which then she'll look at you and how you respond and go, he's only going to one person, one God to act this way. I have to subject myself to that. I want to subject myself to him because of how he displays it. Am I perfect in that? No. I am not. My wife is so close to my heart. You guys can all say amen to this. Those who are closest to your heart tend to be the ones that can get you going the quickest. Jelaine knows every word to say and everything to do to get me to be upset and angry. And sometimes I think she knows that before we go into conversation about stuff. But at the end of the day, if it isn't just for the witnessing to my wife, guess what else I'm starting to see, which I used to see with the older four kids. I see these other two little sets of eyes watching daddy. That's so big for us as men. Like when I'm doing stuff and my wife's saying something and all that, I see Dessa watching dad. She's not watching mom. She's watching daddy. Yeah, mom's losing it. My mom does that. Mom's, yeah, whatever. What's daddy going to do? And I see her. And I think, how much am I investing? How much seed planting am I doing with her? How much have I done with the older four? That I might not see the fruition of things for years to come, but my wife does a beautiful job in saying, you need to get a man like your daddy who's patient because your mom can be crazy. I say, I love you, babe. Dad's not perfect. It isn't about that. But I submit to my head which then should allow my wife to see me and, and willfully subject to my headship. And if a person comes into church wanting to express that, if a woman comes into church wanting, and I'm not doing away with the cultural stuff. Guys, that cultural stuff is true. Prostitutes used to walk around 
with their heads uncovered. We just went through this about the church in Corinth. It was a wild place. They had elaborate hairdos and all that. They did whatever they could do to lure men and sailors in. Like, they did that. So it makes sense to me that Paul would lay this kind of foundational thing to go, and you know what? You want to clear it up? Come to church with your head covered to display that you're married to someone. Display it. I can take that. But then I stop and go, why is he going to the creation of things to display this? Because there, do you, do you catch what he says at the end? I want to read it to you guys. How many, I have the NIV. Who has a, a different version in here than I do? You, what do you have, Don? NLT. NLT. Read verse 16. Chapter 11. Verse 16. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other church. Ryan, what does yours say? Verse 16. If anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Mine says in NIV, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Linda, what version do you have? You want to read yours, 16? He's ba what is he saying to us, church? I don't have any other custom for you guys to teach or preach about this. This is what I'm telling you to do. But do you notice what he says about the other churches? He's not talking just about the church in Corinth. No other churches have the... I'm not going to say anything different because no one does anything different, especially the other churches. So do you see how now the argument can go against the cultural side of things? Is this just cultural? So now when I read this and I see women walking around with a covering, I go, that's beautiful. They just want to display the headship of their husband. I don't see it as oppressive. But in the ignorance of things, if I watch that and I see it, I can go, man, why are they being religious about stuff? But at the same time, if you come into church as John's embracing his wife, you know, you guys are sitting together. And you don't. I'm not going to sit there and go, shame, shame. Like, you got to display this in church. Among, I'm not. Culturally, if we had prostitutes running around the church and things like that, and we had issues, as Paul's discussed in previous chapters, sexual immorality and all that stuff, as a pastor, guess what? I might go, you know what? Remember a while ago when we went through chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians? I'm going to have you women start to come into church just for the sake of not confusion or no confusion amongst the body, for the sake of no disruption amongst the body. Women requesting that you come in with your heads covered. Makes sense, doesn't it? That he would do that. But I love how he ties it into the beauty of creation and the beauty of the, the layout of God, Christ, man, woman. But in the midst of the man and woman side of things, they both come from God. And not one is independent of the other. And they're both just as beautiful and as important. But they have complementary roles for one another. And that there's responsibility in being the head and being the authority. It's this submissive, 
like sacrificial, showing love, like ridiculous love to your wife to the point where your wife looks at you and does nothing but want to subject to that. I trust my husband. Like we got option A or option B. He's saying A, I'm saying B. We can't come to any kind of terms. I trust him that if he picks A and it's wrong, he's going to fess up and own up to it. But not only that, if I rub it in his face, he's going to sit there and smile at me, which is hard to do. My wife has done that to me. Told you so. Told you so. Like, yeah, right. You're smarter than I am. I get it. But do you see in the beginning of service, church, what I said is being Christians. Do we hit the nail on the head every time? We don't. We're like chickens with our heads cut off. Those old selves come up. We can have pride in our marriage. We want to let the other one know that the other one's wrong and I'm this and you're that. Remember this. The Bible says that. Da, da, da. Paul, leading up to this, has talked about self-denial, self-discipline, giving glory to God in the midst of those relationships. And it's not just about discipline either, guys. It's about warfare. You are battling a spiritual war in your lives right now. And it is a daily death to self thing. It truly is. If I stood up here as a Christian and as a pastor and I told you guys, you guys by this point should be perfect, right? Chris and Dave, you guys should not be fighting in your marriage anymore because it's in those moments that you think you have it licked that guess what? Probably the biggest destruction comes in your life. And that's for Christians across the board. The minute you think you got it good, I've been doing this for 20 years, Pastor. I know the Holy Spirit's doing this in me. I can't be... Devil's just sitting there smirking, waiting. And go, this is one that's filled with pride. I'm going to get this one. This one's not sober-minded. Amen. So does that make... Does this make sense? Like, I wanted to unpack this with you guys. I'd, after... Um, the baptism service next week. We're going to go into teaching about the Lord's Supper as well because that's you really don't get a lot of teaching from the Lord's Supper anywhere else in the Bible except what we're going into in 1 Corinthians. And, and Paul is going to speak about abuse that's taking place at the Lord's Supper. But obviously there was a concern in the church in Corinth because he had to write and address something about what? Head covering. And it's just 16 verses that are in there. But guess what? You guys can go through God's word and think, that doesn't mean anything for me today. I've been there. I've read stuff and I go, it doesn't. God's word is for our teaching. It's God-breathed. It's for our discipline. It's for our understanding. It's for our governing. Everything in the Bible has significance to it. Everything does. And there's something that can be taken away to where when we draw ourselves back to the Bible, not bring the Bible to us, when we read what the Word's trying to say to us, not us read into what the Bible's saying, there's something applicable there for us in our lives to teach us, to remind us of something. So what I see in this verse, to summarize, is the beauty of the creative order of things. The God created two genders. He did. Created two genders for a purpose and a reason, okay? And that there's a governing through his word on what the role of those genders should be for one another in marriage, man and woman. Man the head, woman willfully subject as the helper to that man. 
There's a beauty and peace in that. We have to look at that and see that when it comes to head covering in the church, if we want to outwardly display that imagery, do it. But even looking in context of what he's trying to say or possibly the cultural side of things because they were dealing with a lot of issues when it comes to prostitution and all that, I'll take that on as well. But as he closes in 16, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we don't have any other practice, nor do the churches of God. This isn't being done any differently anywhere else. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just give you thanks for your word. Um, Lord, I give you thanks for even the ability to relay the word. As I could just stand up here, Lord, and just babble and run my mouth. But I thank you for the ability to be able to teach it, and for, even for the, the, the ability for the church to be able to take it in, to weigh the words that I'm saying, Lord Jesus. I, I give you praise for that. I pray over this body right now and just even continuing on from the prayer before about just healing over them, Lord, physically. I also pray into the marriages as well, that the words that were spoken today just root themselves in um, the individual's life or the married couple's life to take home with them. Um, to, to pray on, Lord, to seek you out on, Lord, to come to you and, and, and desire to become more and more like you and how the Bible calls for us to be in those respective roles, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for your word for governing that and showing us that, Lord. I pray for blessing over this church as well as they go throughout their week, daily waking up, preaching the cross to themselves, dying to self, and seeking you out first and foremost in the beginning and throughout their entire day. It is in your name, Jesus, that I pray these things. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.